0: Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission, living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, today we're continuing in our series through the Gospel of Mark with a section that we're calling Good News. You guys ready for some good news? Okay. Uh, Every week, we've been hearing some really good news. And I want to recap some of the things we talked about the last two weeks. So two weeks ago, we, we kicked this series off talking about how God cares more about what's on the inside than he does on the outside. And that's really good news, because that means that we can come to God, and we can come to church, and that we can approach him, even if we don't have it all figured out, even if there are still areas of our life that are a mess, that God, he just cares so much more about healing areas of our heart and meeting us where we're at than how we come to him. And so that was really good news. And then last week, we looked at a passage that we learned about how love can break down barriers how love can break down barriers that would seek to divide us. And so we ended with a prayer time that was really powerful. We prayed that God would help us to see beyond our differences. You know, sometimes our differences can create division. And we want to be a people that see beyond those things. And we also prayed that God, that we would give to people, that he would lead us to give to people that we wouldn't normally give to. And so it was a really impactful time. And then on Tuesday night at All Church Prayer, we continued praying for those things. Who was at All Church Prayer? Man, it's awesome. We just started doing these. Like, one of you came. Um, We just started doing—you guys are the 1130. You're like, yeah, uh, we're lucky we may—no. But we just started doing these, and it's been so cool to have this this time that we can come together and just be in God's presence and, and bring our needs before Him, but pray about meaningful things. And so. So today, we're, we're back in good news, and there is so much good news in the Gospel of Mark. Um, we live in an age where there's a lot happening. There's good news one day, bad news the next. We're more globally aware of problems and things that are happening than any other time in history. So that's pretty amazing. But what can happen is we can fall into this trap of riding those waves, the good news, bad news waves, and, and, our, and our, our how we feel and, how, and our outlook on life can fluctuate so much. And so as followers of Jesus, we want to begin each week remembering that the greatest news has already been told, that Jesus Christ died on a cross went to the grave, rose again, and that he offers forgiveness of sins, a new life for eternity. And so we want to remember that this morning because that is a headline that we can live under. And it's the most important headline for followers of Jesus to live under. So as, as we approach scripture together, let's remember that the greatest news has already been told and that we're telling it every Sunday And because of that, here at Brave Church, people are coming alive to the reality of God. They're learning how to follow Jesus in community as a family. We're becoming a family here. And the San Ramon Valley will never be the same again. Amen. There is a greater headline that we're learning to live under, and it anchors our souls. And some of you, you know this. Maybe you've known it for years. Maybe you've considered yourself a Christian for years. But we're living in a time where that that we're being challenged to do we still feel that truth? Do we still live with that truth? And we're not talking about ignoring problems. We're not talking about putting your head in the sand and just ignoring all that. Like, we are called to help the helpless. We're going to seek justice this fall. We have a vision series coming up with some things that we've been praying about and and dreaming about that we're excited to share with you. But what the message of Jesus means for us is that spiritually and emotionally, our strength and sense of security is not dependent on the state of the world. For some of you, this might be a fresh concept. And for others, it's a call to go deeper, to mature in your faith. But either way, it begins right here and now in this moment together where we're going to look at scripture. And the God of the Bible who said, in the beginning was the word who has been speaking since the beginning of time, who spoke the earth and all of creation into existence, is speaking to us right now. So we're going to bow our heads if you'll join me, and I want to pray that you would hear from God today. God, I pray that as we, as we go into this passage and we read a story of something that took place so long ago, that we would see your heart for us, and that we would see your words for us, and that you would speak to us directly into our lives, into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, if you didn't get notes when you came in, you're going to want those. Just raise your hand. Our ushers will get those to you. But we're going to go to Mark 7. We're going to begin reading in verse 31. Um, So you can follow along. Let's read this together. It says, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. They begged Jesus to place his hand on him. And after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit, and he touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, he said to him, epatha, which means be opened. And at this, the man's ears were opened, and his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I I remember hearing this story when I was younger and my first thought was just man that's kind of weird like why did he grab his tongue <laughs> you know like if someone has anyone ever just grabbed your tongue like that would be so weird right and, and then I thought, man, I mean, the way it's always kind of been presented to me is that he had faith, and there was some admirable quality about this guy that he went along with what Jesus was doing, which would have been really strange, probably. And then he's healed, which is really awesome. But what we need to know today is that to the original audience, this wouldn't have been weird at all, because other rabbis tried the same method, the same approach to healing people. I love how when God does weird stuff, it works out great, right? It's not weird. But when I do weird stuff, it's just weird, you know? Have you guys seen those commercials? Remember, like, it's only weird if it doesn't work, right? Like, these crazy sports fans, and I know you guys do some weird stuff. I'm just saying. Uh, But God, it always works out. And so here we have this method that to us looks so weird, but to them, they're seeing this guy come on the scene and do what they've seen other people do, and the end result is different because this man is healed. Have you ever experienced a miracle? Something where you're just like, man, this could only be God. This is this is a miracle. There's no other explanation for how this happened. When I think of some of the biggest miracles in my life, the first one I think of is my brother who was born with cerebral palsy. He used to have seizures. I remember waking him up in waking up the family in the middle of the night when we need to go to the hospital. And we we prayed for him. And it's a longer story, but in short, he was healed. And he no longer has seizures. And here we are 20 years later. And according to brain scans, he should still be having seizures, but he doesn't. It's, It's a miracle. There's no other explanation. I think of the beginning of our church and the story of how Brave Church came to be. And, and if you haven't heard that whole story, we want to invite you to Welcome to Brave next week. We know uh, we want to get to know you, but also we know it'll inspire you just to hear the story. Uh, but it's a miracle that we've been given this property and this building and this place to be used for God's glory. And it's an incredible thing. And then I also just think of the miracle of my wife marrying me, right? <laughs> like how many of you, that's a miracle. Where are you guys at? Come on. All right, we've got some honesty in this room. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good thing. God can work with honesty, right? Uh, but it's, it's, it's amazing when we think of these times that God just did stuff that we didn't see coming or we couldn't have earned or we couldn't have expected. I know some of you have your own miracle stories, your own things that God's done in your life and the, the ways that you've seen the power of God at work. But here's the thing about people and miracles our tendency isn't just to receive them. It's to look at what God did and to create a formula or a method so that we can replicate that miracle and so that we can tell other people how they can get their miracle too. And it's true that there are biblical patterns for how God works. He requires faithfulness. He rewards faith. When I think about the story of our church and this beautiful community that is thriving and is growing What we've been given is truly a miracle, but you know what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean that we're more special than any other church in this valley. Like the fact that we have maybe the last buildable acreage for a church building that could one day seat the largest auditorium in this valley, that's an indicator that God has special plans for us, but it doesn't make us any more special. It doesn't mean that we've cracked the code that we're more spiritual, that if you do this, God will do this. It's complete grace. The religious tendency is to take something that could only come from God and to connect the dots to try to show how we earned it or how we deserved it. Now, hear me because it's true that we do need to position our lives in such a way that we're aligned with God's will and his purpose and his blessing. We need to to be obedient. But when God unleashes unusual favor, it doesn't mean that we've figured something out that others haven't. There are a lot of amazing, faithful, mature people who are following Jesus that live in suffering daily. And we wonder why God doesn't heal them. And then there are people that were like, man, I'm not even sure they're saved. Like what's going on? But it just seems like they're so blessed and things are going so well for them. It, it doesn't add up. God, why aren't you coming through for me the way you're coming through for them? And so this is our problem with the power of God. All throughout the gospel of Mark, we see Jesus performing miracle after miracle, and he does it in different ways. There's no clear method to his miracles. But for most of us, that's not good enough because we want a way. We want a method. We want something that's predictable. We want something that we can rely on. We want to know the best way to get there, the shortcut, the quick trip. And that's why a lot of Christian preaching is based on ways or how-tos. And that's not a bad thing. I'm going to share some some ways here in, in our application at the end of this. But if we're not careful, we can think that we know so much and we've got so much figured out that we put God in a box. The power of God is too big for the boxes we put it in. And it doesn't take long before our teaching and our attitude as we learn more and as we know more, that we start to say things like, if you do this, God will do this. And maybe we don't say it explicitly, but it's what we convey. It's what we mean. Maybe you know what it's like to be at a place in your life where your trust has been in methods or in ways, and you're wondering why God isn't responding to you. You're wondering why you're not getting the result that you expected. God, why aren't you holding up your end of the deal? But in reality, what's happened is we've created a box and we've tried to put how the power of God works in that box. So here's the good news. You guys ready for some good news? Yeah. Yeah, Turn to the person next to you. Say, how about some good news? This week's good news is from a passage in Isaiah that speaks to what we can learn from this story. It's one of my favorite passages. It should be in your notes. It's Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are higher than ours. And that's good news and we're going to unpack this in a little bit uh, a little bit more but i want to introduce to you before we do two key concepts that are key to us gaining the most understanding from this story but also in our bible reading time at home and as you as you approach god's word two key concepts that can help us understand this better and the first number 1 in your notes is hyperlinks The Bible is full of hyperlinks. What does that mean? Maybe you've read a blog and you've seen something highlighted or it's blue and you know that if you click on it, it'll lead to something else, right? It'll lead to more information or maybe back to the source where something's coming from. Or if you've seen a movie that has sequels or prequels. Um, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. i love Star Wars since I was a kid. I even liked the new Solo movie. I don't know why people didn't like that. I thought it was great. Okay, but my wife, she had never seen any Star Wars movies before we met. And so I took her to see The Force Awakens, and she thought it was great. And she hadn't seen any of them. And there's like, that's like the eighth one or something, or seven. I should know if I'm a real Star Wars fan. Don't judge me if you're one of those Comic-Con Star Wars fans, because I don't take it that far. But I'm a huge fan. But the cool thing about these movies is they stand alone. Like, you can watch one of them and appreciate it. Like, she watched the old ones, and she wasn't a fan. We're working on that. But I'm like, this is where it all started, you know? But you can watch them, and they stand alone, and you can enjoy them, and you can appreciate them. But if you know more, then you understand, wow, there's so much more significance to the Millennial Falcon, right? There's so much more significance to these characters or these backstories. And biblical stories, particularly in the New Testament, are a lot like that. They're full of hyperlinks. They're full of references to other things that happened. And so all throughout the Gospel of Mark, We see this, and so when Jesus is being questioned by religious leaders, or or he's doing something that is miraculous, like healing this man, it's a reference back to something else. In, In this case, he's fulfilling a prophecy that hundreds of years before was predicted that he would do. I want to share with you, um, number two, the second concept is messianic prophecies. And I want to share with you um, in this table, in your notes, some of the messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Just a few of them. Because it's really significant, even overwhelming, to consider that there weren't just a few prophecies that pointed to Jesus, but there were hundreds, and he fulfilled every single one. And so some of these are general, some of these are, are, are specific, some of these are miracles. The first one is that he would be born in Bethlehem. In Micah 5.2, there's a prophecy about where he'll be born. He'll be born in Bethlehem. And then in Matthew 2, we see that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. The next one is that it would be a virgin birth. Isaiah 7.14 um, says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she'll call his name Emmanuel. This was impossible, right? And then we see in Luke that an angel comes to Mary and tells her the spirit of God is going to come upon you, and you're going to be with child. Then there's a prophecy in Isaiah. It says that he would be God in Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And then in John 10, 30, it's fulfilled. Jesus declares, I and the Father are one. He's saying, I am God. One more in, in Psalm 22, it says, they pierced my hands and feet. One of the prophecies was that his hands and feet are pierced. I always think of Psalms as poetry, and you know, they're songs that we sing in worship that are based on Psalms, but there's also prophecy in Psalms. And in Luke twenty twenty three, where we see um, one of the accounts of Jesus's crucifixion, his hands and feet were pierced. So here's what we need to know about this passage that we're looking at today, is Jesus knew all these things about himself. He knew when he was fulfilling a prophecy. And so in this case, he's fulfilling one from Isaiah. And it's kind of like he's saying, I'm the guy. Look at me. Like, I'm doing the things that the Messiah is supposed to do. I'm fulfilling the prophecies. And so this is really important because in our faith journey, if we're going to live like God really does, have a higher perspective, we need to see who he is. We need to recognize who Jesus is. We can't be like the crowd that hears his words echoing prophets of old or sees his miracles and sees his good works, but still misses who Jesus is. See, Jesus, he's going about, he's performing miracles, he's saying things that only God can say, and they're confused because Jesus has God's perspective. He's got a perspective way above the people he's hanging out with, and God invites us to have his perspective. And part of our growth as we grow spiritually and as we follow Jesus is that we start to gain more of God's perspective about our lives. So how did they miss God right in front of them? He just didn't fit in their box. They were blinded by the religious methods, the things that they were taught, the things, the way they thought things were supposed to be done, who the Messiah was supposed to look like, what he was supposed to do. Sometimes we put God in a box. Maybe it's because of what we've been taught our upbringing or the church that we grew up in. Maybe you've been told God works this way, and if you do this, God will do this. But when it comes to the power of God and the miraculous, I think you'll find that it doesn't fit in a box. God's ways are higher than ours, and his thoughts are higher than ours. And there are things that happen that are so amazing that the only way, the only answer we can come up with is this must be God. So when you decide to follow Jesus, it's really important that the starting point of that relationship is that we recognize or that you begin to recognize that this is a relationship unlike any other. You're in a relationship now with someone who is leading your life that has a higher perspective than anyone else in your life. He knows things that you don't know. He can do things that you can't do. And he is amazing. He can do amazing things. So today we're gonna talk about three things, three ways to unbox the power of God. And the first one, number one, and this is in your notes, is to be at peace with God's pace. Be at peace with God's pace. In verse 31, Mark says, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, and he went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. This verse gives us the route that Jesus took to get to Decapolis. And it's interesting. Like, why did he go this way? If you look at a map, it's kind of a bit of a zigzag. It's like he didn't need to go from here to here to here to get to here. Like, he didn't go the most efficient way. It wasn't the fastest way. But what's even more interesting is that Mark doesn't give us any explanation. And he's not loose with his words. He's not just mentioning things to not mention them usually. Like, we don't know what happened in these places. We don't know why Jesus didn't just go straight there. But the point is that how you get there isn't the most important part. It's that Jesus got there, and this man's life was changed forever. When, when I'm driving, I always use maps to get wherever I'm going, and sometimes a, a little notification will pop up, and it'll say that there's a faster route, and I can click to go on the faster route. And the reason that maps does this is because we want to go the faster route, right? Does anybody just want to get there slower, right? No, we want to get there the fastest way, but here we see Jesus, in. Jesus is really smart. He's God. He has a higher perspective, but he doesn't always take the faster route. Being at peace with God's pace is a radical way to live. It's completely different than what we're taught. It's completely different than the norms of our culture. This means when you think it's time and God hasn't opened a door yet, or he hasn't provided, when on God's clock, it's not time, will you still be at peace? Are you okay with it? Have you ever talked to a friend who was angry or upset? And you're like, man, you look kind of upset. Why are you upset? And they're like, I'm not upset. But clearly, they're upset. Anger is easy to recognize. When someone loses their temper, it's usually pretty noticeable how it comes out. But I think a lack of peace can sometimes be a little bit harder. It can be masked. It's a lot easier to rationalize. Um, But a lack of peace... It is a really big deal because when we have a lack of peace, when we've lost our peace, it means that we're anxious or we're stressed or we're paralyzed because something hasn't happened that we thought would happen this way or that way or, or whatever it may be. And, and what that points to at the root is that we're not trusting God. But we gotta remember that he has a higher perspective. Being at peace with God's pace means trusting him with the timing and the outcome. What if God has something different planned? What if from his higher perspective, he knows there's an accident ahead or he knows there's a detour or there's a delay, there's a better way to get there? How amazing would it be if, if we were filled with peace and filled with bravery as we live through this life that when things come up unexpected or things that aren't going our way or things that are, are challenging or, or, or struggles or whatever that might be, that we're still able to take hold of the peace of God. It doesn't slip away from us. I mean, there are so many things that we worry about. There are so many things that we get stressed about that years from now won't even matter, that we won't even care about. I mean, think about all of the things just from this point in your life now that you can look back on. If you could go tell yourself, just enjoy the day. Just have a good evening. Just have a good night's sleep. It's going to work out. Maybe it's something small. It's like something at work that's not happening as fast as you hoped. Or maybe it's something big, like you lost your job and you need to find a new one. But remember that we can be at peace with God's pace because he has a higher perspective. And when you're following Jesus, he's going to work things for good. That's a promise. He sees things we don't see. He knows things we don't know. And he can do things that we can't do. Number two, be dependent on grace. Verse 32, it says, there are some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. Skipping down to verse 34, it says, he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, epatha, which means be opened. And at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. There's no indication that this man did anything special to deserve being healed. I mean, if you think about just the stories that we've been hearing over the last few months, there's a woman who was unclean. And she she was bleeding for many, many years. And she needed healing. And she fought her way through the crowd. And she grabbed hold of Jesus' cloak. And she she was healed. And so we can look at that story and go, wow, her, because of her faith or because of her perseverance, right? So So that's our method, right? If only you had enough faith or perseverance, then you would be healed too. That doesn't. Seem to always work out. Or the woman last week who was pagan. She wasn't even a Christian or a a follower of Jesus. She wasn't following him in the crowds. She wasn't a a believer in God. She wasn't Jewish. And she comes to Jesus, and he's not even supposed to be talking to her. And she comes to Jesus, and she asks him to deliver her demon-possessed daughter. And he says no at first. But then he meets her where she's at. So if you're not a Christian, God can't help you? See, we try to create these formulas, and we try to put God's abilities and how God works into a box, and we miss him. We don't see him. We don't see what he's doing. Nothing other than God's grace could help this man. All we know about him is that his friends brought him to Jesus. Jesus pulled him aside, and then he was healed. That's all we know. We don't know that he had extra faith. Than other people around him. We don't know if it was harder for them to get to Jesus. I love how it's just so direct. It's just, they brought him, pulled him aside. Jesus did some weird stuff. Now he's healed. He was completely dependent on God's grace. So what is grace? What do you think of when you think of grace? I think some of us, maybe our definition of grace gets a little skewed. Um, when I think of grace, or most commonly, I think of people who say things like, I'm just going to need some grace. In other words, I made a mistake, right? (laughs) Like I'm going to need some grace, or I I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to need some grace. But grace, there are more dimensions to grace than just covering our mistakes. In fact, grace is three-dimensional. Grace is acceptance. It's radical acceptance, being accepted with your imperfections, being accepted with your flaws, or, or, or or even making wrong decisions. It's still being accepted by God, that he still loves you. But grace is also empowerment for serving. It's an empowerment to do things beyond our capabilities because they're connected to God's purposes and he's gonna give you the ability to do those things and you really can't do them on your own. And that's a form of grace. I love what Dallas Willard said. He said, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. So we do our part, but then God takes that and does so much more than our part would ever add up to. The math doesn't play out. That's grace. Third dimension is the empowerment for freedom. It's the change that starts to happen in our lives. When you look back on your life and you go, who I was a year ago, who I was today, the only way that happened is God's grace. When you see these things happening in your life as a result of grace, you can't help but see how dependent you are. Number one, be at peace with God's pace. Number two, be dependent on grace. And when you see your dependence and you become more aware of just how much you need God and just how much you you need to be forgiven or you need his empowerment or you need the transformation that only comes by following him, then what happens is your heart becomes more grateful and you're amazed by Jesus. Number three, be amazed by Jesus. Verse 36 says, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You can't fake amazement, right? I mean, maybe someone, a friend comes and shares some good news, and you're excited with them, kind of for them. But if it's something that you're not really excited about, it, it only lasts so long, right? Like real amazement, it's genuine. It comes from the inside. You're truly amazed. I mean, we, we use words like amazed and awesome so casually, but they're big words. And to really be amazed by something is to recognize, wow, this is truly incredible. Like this is truly amazing. And when, when you see who Jesus is and you start following him and it starts impacting your life in tangible ways, you realize, wow, why am I still at peace right now in this moment? I should be freaking out. A year ago, I'd be freaking out, right? Like when you start to realize the impact of, of, of your faith in your life, you're amazed. Other rabbis did what Jesus did. They didn't get the same results. It didn't work out when they stuck their fingers in people's ears. <laughs> but when Jesus does, it works. Because it's not about how he got there or how he did it. It's about who he is. Who Jesus is is amazing, and it makes all the difference. The people in our passage said he has done everything well. And they said this because he was doing amazing things that no one else could do. And then he commanded them, don't tell anyone, and they couldn't keep it quiet. Because when something's really amazing, it's contagious. You, you can't keep it a secret. You want to tell everyone. I've had a secret for these last few months that I've been wanting to tell you guys, and I just couldn't. But it's so amazing. My wife and I are expecting a baby, perfect illustration, right? It's amazing. Do you know what it's like to have something happening in your life that's so amazing and you just can't keep it a secret? That's what following Jesus is. It's amazing. And and what is God doing in your life? What amazes you? We're going to end with a, a time together to reflect on the areas of our lives where our timing was one way. What we wanted God to do was one way. And God did something else and showed us that his timing was perfect. Or the times that we knew we needed grace and we weren't good enough, and yet we were accepted anyways, and it broke down the walls of our heart. Or the moments where we just knew we didn't have what it took, but somehow by God's grace, things worked out, and he empowered us. I want to invite you to to bow your heads and I want to pray with you. And as we we move into this time, let's reflect on these things and let's be filled with gratitude and let's be amazed by Jesus. Let's be amazed at who he is. God, I just pray for every single person in this room. I think of the crowd and the people that, that didn't understand, that didn't see who you were. And there's a difference between them and us. And that is that, They hadn't seen you go to the cross yet. They hadn't seen resurrection power yet. But we live in a time after that. And we live in a time where we have complete access to you, where we call upon your name and you are there and the power of God can live within us. God, I pray that we would be amazed by you this morning, that we would be amazed at who you are that we'd be amazed at your creation, that you spoke us into existence. God, I pray that you would speak to us and that as we respond, as we're amazed, that our hearts would worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only He can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.